Thank you, choir and Steve. Today we're going to continue our brief journey through the book of Acts. Our purpose for doing this is to look at the New Testament church and to compare our church to ask the question, are we a New Testament church? Are we following the pattern of the church that Jesus established? Now, when Jesus established the church, it grew rapidly. In fact, it had enormous and immediate success. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, as we've already seen, that there were 120 believers in the upper room. In Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter preached there were 3,000 believers added to the family. Acts chapter 4, there were 5,000 men mentioned at that time. So the church grew rapidly after it had been established. We hear those numbers, however, and sometimes tend to forget that they were all individuals. We hear about 3,000 people, but they were individuals. That's important because we come to Christ individually. It is not something that is done in a group. It is something that is done individually. Now, we come to Christ in faith, but our journey to faith is not the same because we're different. Our experiences are different. For instance, I was saved in vacation Bible school. My wife was saved in a revival meeting. My daughter was saved in our home. My son was saved in a car. We were driving, pulled off the side of the road, shared the gospel with him, and he came to know Christ as Savior. So we come to Christ in faith, but our journey to faith is not the same. As a matter of fact, we are told that adults and young people usually come to faith in different directions. J. Dennis Miller said that adults tend to approach the gospel with objective understanding. Now, I think the reason for that is because as an adult, we grew up when absolutes were accepted. There was such a thing as absolute truth. For instance, in math, two plus two was what? Four, that was an absolute, that was a truth. Now, I know today it can be five, but back then it was four. And that was always the way that we were graded when we took the test. So there were absolutes in math. There were also absolutes in science. For instance, there's the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Now, because that was a law, I didn't jump off a building thinking I could fly because there was a, an absolute truth, the, the law of gravity. So then when an adult who came from that background came to matters of religion... We accepted the Bible as the absolute truth of God's Word. We believe that it is absolute truth. Now then, because I believe that the Bible is absolutely true, the absolute truth of God, then I submit myself to His Word. I submit myself to that truth, and then I begin to apply those truths to my life because it's true. Now Miller goes on, and said, youth tends to approach the gospel with a subjective understanding. So adults then normally come with an objective understanding. Youth comes with a subjective understanding. In other words, they evaluate truth based on experience and participation and observation. So 
with a young person when it comes to matters of religion today, then they look at those who claim to be Christians. And if we say that we are a Christian and we live out the Christian life, then they say, well, then that is true. But if we say that we are a Christian, but we're not living what we profess to believe, then they say that is not true. So religion then is validated by experience as being true or false. If they observe subjectively what we claim to believe, that leads them to the conclusion that this is true, authentic, or it is false, inauthentic point that I'm making is that we come to Christ in faith, but we come different ways to faith. Today, I want you to look at an individual who came to the Lord, different experience. Acts chapter 8, verse number 25. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. I'm not going to read the rest of this. I know that you can. We'll refer to it as we go along. But I just want you to see this story. And I want us to, I want us to understand something about this story. First of all, There is probably, for a believer, a a true believer, we would probably say there is no one we love more than Jesus. Greatest love of our life. And yet we would probably also say the most difficult thing we do is to share Jesus with someone else. And yet as I look at the New Testament church, I see that that was their priority. You'll notice there in verse 25, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritan. That was the priority of the New Testament church, the sharing of Christ. The Bible says they testified. Folks, all that means is that they shared what Jesus had done in their life. See, sometimes we think that we have to have a six-week course to share our faith. They just told what Jesus had done in their life. They testified. The Bible says that they prophesied. That means that they proclaimed the message. They proclaimed the message as to what Jesus had done. And they evangelized. They went to the villages and they shared the message of Christ, bringing them to faith in Christ. Ray Stedman said these three things prophesying, testifying, and evangelizing make up the normal activities of Christian witness. That's what it is. It's telling what Jesus has done in my life. And so I testify, I tell others what Christ has done in my life. Well, that, that, that sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, that's something anybody can do. Then why is it so difficult? Now, 
know that it is. Why is it so difficult for us to share faith? Simple thing to do. Why is it so difficult? Richard Jackson, pastor of the North Phoenix Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, built a great church out there, very evangelistic church. And he said, Satan will allow you to do anything except share Christ with others. When you begin to witness, you're doing battle with Satan. Now, I think that he's right. According to Richard, he said, you know, you can sing in the choir. Satan will allow you to sing in the choir. You can teach Sunday school class. He'll allow you to do that. And he'll let you be a deacon, all those kinds of things. No big, no big deal. But when you begin to share Jesus, he says, then you're going to have problems because Satan is going to attack you. Now, what are the obstacles that he throws up that keeps us from sharing Christ? Well, I think probably the most effective uh, obstacle that he places in our way is that of inadequacy. He tells us that we are not adequate to share the gospel of Christ. I mean, you leave that to the preachers and the priests and so forth, but we are not adequate to do that. That's what happened to Moses. You know the story as to the Lord meeting Moses at the burning bush and saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of bondage. Now, when the Lord told him, I want you to lead my people out of bondage, then Satan began to, uh, to tempt him by saying, that you, but you're not adequate for the task. You can't fulfill that task. And so in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 10, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So what Satan did with Moses then was to say, Moses, you can't speak. You're going to go and lead these people. You're not a speaker. How can you do that? Moses, you're supposed to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. You can't do that. So he appealed to him as being inadequate for the task. Did the same thing with Jeremiah. The Lord called Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet. I want you to preach on my behalf. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 6, then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. You see, there was that same thing from Satan. God said, I want you to be a prophet. Satan said to him, Jeremiah, you can't do that. You're just a young person. Who's going to listen to you? What, what do you have to say? You're a young person. You're inadequate for the test. Doesn't Satan do the same thing to us? Greatest love of my life would be Jesus. Greatest struggle of my life is to share Jesus. Why? Well, because I'm inadequate. Satan convinces me that I'm inadequate. We've been hearing a lot about my hope, evangelism, uh, my hope and, and, uh, and on November the 7th and, and so forth and some are involved in that. And I know that my guess is that as you hear about my hope, you say, boy, that's a good idea. And it might be the best hope that America has, the best hope for revival, for turning back to God. might be. And yet Satan has convinced you that you can't participate, that you can't be a part of it because you're inadequate. Let me say something I was so thrilled because uh, Tripp told me. Do you know that we have somewhere between 90 and 100 already of our students who are participating? They signed up. They are participating in my hope. That's exactly what I ask you to do, and I'm so proud of you. But see, that's what Satan does to us. 
Whenever the Lord says that we are to share the good news that people might be saved, Satan says, but you are not adequate for that. And then he also comes with another obstacle, that of unconcern for the lost. We become apathetic. William Slam wrote that the epitaph of our society should be this civilization died because it didn't want to be bothered. We better be bothered. Folks, we are losing things. As Christians, we are losing things. In our families, we are losing things. And we better be bothered. But what happens is that we become apathetic. And when we become apathetic, we lose hope. And we believe that God really can't change things. It disturbs me when I get around Christian people. And they are so despondent today, so depressed today. You know, I mean, there's a lot of hand-wringing within the church and within the Christian community today. That ought not be because God is still on the throne. He still has power. And all we need to do is to commit ourselves to him. But Satan convinces us that we are inadequate for the task. We become apathetic. When we become apathetic, we lose our hope and we're ready to throw in the towel. So what motivates us then to share the good news? Look at verse number 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. So there was an angel's command. But the angel said to Philip, I want you to go to this man. Why didn't the angel go tell him? Have you ever wondered that? What what in the world are we doing? We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. Don't you think that angels could do a better job? I do. I think, Lord, you really messed up on this one. You missed this one. You should have sent your angels. They could do a better job than we do. But God in his sovereignty has chosen to use you. I don't know why. But he has chosen to use us. So an angel said to him, you are to go to speak to a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. You're to witness to him. And so we see the man in verse number 27. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. So the Bible says that the angel said, I want you to go out here and witness to this man. He is the treasure of Candace. Barnes says, Candace is said to have been the common name of the queens of Ethiopia as Pharaoh was of the sovereign of Egypt. So he was in charge of the treasure. He was the treasurer. He was a proselyte. He had left the polytheism of his region and had embraced the one God of Israel. And so he had been to worship. He was a proselyte. So we see then there was a command from the angel. There was a candidate, an Ethiopian eunuch, and there was obedience. What is it that motivates us to witness? Well, same thing, obedience. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus is Lord, then we are to be obedient to him. He is Lord. That's the reason I think so often we we say, well, he's my savior. You know, he saved me. I'm going to heaven, not going to hell, but he's Savior and Lord. And if he is Lord, that means then that we are to be obedient to him. And that's what he's told us to do. Another reason is compassion. We're motivated out of compassion for people. We want to see people saved. So there is the struggle of evangelism. There are obstacles, but we are obedient. Now, here's what I believe. If my commitment to Jesus is real and my struggle is honest... It will result in faithfulness. The Lord will give us opportunities. He will give you opportunities.
to share your faith with someone else. And many times those opportunities given by the Lord appear to be coincidental. I, I know that, and, and I'm sure that you, I know of many cases, and I'm sure that you do as well. But there were, we had problems with our television some time ago, and there was a repairman who came over to look at it, take it out, whatever he was doing, but he came over. And he, he, he had come to fix the television, and Linda began talking with him. And while she was talking with him, she got into religious matters, she got into the gospel, and she led him to faith in Christ. Now, that did not seem to be a place for someone to be saved. It seemed to be a coincidence. But she was sensitive, sensitive to the Lord and led him to faith in Christ. Now, I look at this story. This does not seem to be a place that is life-changing. The Bible says that he was on a desert road. He was in the middle of nowhere. As a matter of fact, I've been there in that area. It is a, it is a desert area. It's not desert in hours. It is an abandoned area. There were trees and so forth. But it doesn't seem to be a place where one's life would be changed. But it was. When the woman came to the well to draw water, that did not seem to be a place where one's life would be changed, but it was because Jesus was there. And you know what I think? I hope I'm right, sort of. My hope seems to me to be one of those things. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, I mean, I know the concept. It is a Matthew party. It goes to the, Old, I mean, to the, to the New Testament as to what Matthew did after he came to know the Lord. Brought his friends together and they shared the gospel. Now think about this. We have Billy Graham who is 90 something years old. And God is going to use him to call our nation to revival. Wouldn't that be just like the Lord? I mean we've got all these hotshot preachers out there. and I mean, what, I'm Surely God is going to use one of them. But what if he used the man who was 90-something years old? He could very well do that. To me, that is something that God might do because it would be in keeping with, uh, with the, the way God does things. Oftentimes, the opportunities appear to be coincidental. They are unlikely, but God uses them to make a difference. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, the Bible says, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? So now we see Philip who is sent there. The eunuch is receptive. The Holy Spirit is active. Now look at verse number 28 as to what was going on. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. In all likelihood, he was reading Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant who came to die uh, to pay for our sins and so forth. Now, that is what most Bible scholars believe that he was reading, that he was reading Isaiah chapter 53. So in verse number 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So the Spirit then was active in that this man was reading the Word of God, and then the Spirit said to Philip, now I want you to go up and join with the man. Have that relationship with the man. And then the message was proclaimed, verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, folks, here we see the steps of salvation. First of all, he heard the word. Starting with that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He heard the word. Now, that is important because the word is the seed that must be sown that brings about a harvest. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We cannot substitute anything for the word of God because that is the seed. That is the seed that bears the harvest. So the word was heard, it was understood in verse number 30. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? Now this is sort of a dicey area here. Because there are people who think I cannot be a Christian because I do not have adequate understanding of scripture. In fact, I hear parents sometimes say, I'm, my, my child is interested in becoming a follower of Christ, a Christian, a believer, but I am going to hold them back until they have understanding. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, unless you come as a child, you cannot come. Now, see, we've reversed it. We say to the child, unless you come as an adult, then you cannot become a follower of Christ. Jesus says to the adult, unless you come as a child, then you cannot come. What do you really need to understand to be a Christian? You need to understand that you're a, you're a sinner. That is the thing that I always want to know about a child when I'm talking with a child. Are they ready to, to trust Christ? I want to know if they understand that they've sinned. Because if they understand that they've sinned, then they need a Savior. But that's what they need to understand is that we need to know that we are sinners and that Jesus is the Savior. And that salvation comes by faith in Him, not by works that we do, but it is provided by Him, by His grace. So there was that understanding and then the word was believed. In verse number 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, folks, salvation does not come by understanding. Salvation comes by believing. It is an issue of the heart. And the Bible says that we believe in him, we commit to him, we trust him. That's when salvation comes. And then the word was obeyed in verse number 36. And as they went along the way, they came to water. The eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Isn't it amazing that when a person comes to know Jesus, they want to be obedient to Jesus? I heard about a preacher, someone had come forward and they trusted the Lord and a counselor was dealing with them. And the counselor said to the pastor when he came by, I said, this man is, has trusted Christ, but he doesn't want to be baptized. And the pastor said, witness to him again. Because when he comes to know Jesus, he's going to want to be obedient to Jesus. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, that, if you know Jesus, then you want to be obedient to the Lord. So if our struggle is honest, then it will lead us to faithfulness. And faithfulness will result in joy. There's the joy of the convert, verse number 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing and he had good reason for rejoicing first of all he had left the pagan society and now then he knew the one who was worthy of worship the Lord Jesus I was reading um, in my devotional time the other day in Isaiah and it was the idea that there is one God only one God and it was dealing with idols and how that the people had made idols. And they said, that, you know, and, and so the prophet was saying, what you do is you go cut down a tree. And you take a portion of that tree and you put it in the, 
in the fire and, and you warm yourself. And then you cut off another portion and you put it in the stove and you cook with it. And he said, and then you take another portion and you carve out an idol, you put it on a shelf and you bow down and worship it. Isn't that silly? But then as I was thinking about it, I thought, now that's silly. That you've just burned a part of it, you've cooked with a part of it, now you worship a part of it. Okay. We make money. We make it. We put it in the bank or in retirement in a 401, and then we expect it to take care of us. Is that not the same thing? That our faith is in what we make rather than in God who made us? No wonder this man is rejoicing. He had met the true God who is worthy of worship. And now he understood scripture, that what he was reading in Isaiah 53 was about Jesus. Bishop Alexander said the golden key to the Psalter lies in the pierced hand. You want to, know, you want to understand the Bible? Understand this. It is all about Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. He now had a personal relationship with the God of the universe and had the joy of serving him. In fact, tradition credits this Ethiopian with being the first to preach the gospel in Ethiopia, even converting Queen Candace. No wonder he was rejoicing. But there was also the joy of the witness in verse number 40. Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Folks, leading another person to faith in Jesus Christ brings such joy. Sometimes a lot of what I do doesn't bring a lot of joy. I mean, it's just work. Most of what I do is work. But there are times when I have the opportunity to share the gospel and see another person come to know Jesus. And boy, does that bless my heart. That is where the joy comes and the satisfaction of obedience. Do you know when a person is saved, there's joy in heaven? The Bible says in Luke 15, 10, in the same way, I tell you there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let me conclude. We love Jesus. If you're a Christian, you love Jesus. But we struggle with evangelism, sharing our faith. Why? Because Satan opposes it. He's going to put up roadblocks to you. He opposes it. We depend on God. He will prepare you and the one to whom you are to witness if you look to him. And when you share your faith, it will bring you great joy. Daniel Webster wrote, If we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God and love of their fellow men, we engrave on those tablets something time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. You can make an investment in eternity by sharing your faith with someone else. And faith is an individual issue. Perhaps today you came not planning to make any commitment to the Lord. You're like the man on the desert road. And yet the Holy Spirit has met you today and is encouraging you, touching your heart, 
to give your life to Jesus. I pray that you will. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation and we ask, Lord, for your blessings, your anointing upon it. We thank you for your grace, your patience with us, your long-suffering. And Lord, I pray for those today who have never trusted Christ that they might. And for those who have, that they will be diligent witnesses of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation. As we do so, the staff will be standing here to receive you. If you never committed your life to Christ, would you today? Say, well, I don't understand what all that means. They'll share, they'll share with you. They'll tell you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. I hope you'll come. Stand with me, please. As we stand and sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.